five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I'm bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from London, England is University Administrator Ezra Chile. Ezra joins me to share her story of being diagnosed with chronic kidney disease at the age of 25, suddenly going on to dialysis, later receiving a kidney transplant, and the lessons she has learned along her kidney warrior journey. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Ezra? I'm good, thank you, Dee. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited and looking forward to our interview. As everyone knows, I love recording kidney warrior stories because, as I've said many times before, there's so much you can learn from someone's lived experience. And so, yes, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Thank you again for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now I'm going to kick off with my first question. And my first question is, how did your kidney worry journey begin and how were you diagnosed? So I will set the scene. So it was back in December 2015. I was 25 at the time and I just started to feel quite unwell. And, you know, around that time, it's quite common to get a cold. So I think I was just had a sore throat. I lost my voice. I think my family were quite happy about that, to be honest. And, you know, we were joking about it, about the fact that I couldn't really talk and I was coughing away. And I think I waited about two weeks because I was like, I'll get better. I just need to rest, stay hydrated and do all the usual stuff. But I wasn't getting any better. And I'm quite reluctant, I would say, as a person like in the past to go to see my GP. I'm always someone who thought I can, you know, I can just get better myself. I know what I need to do. And so eventually things were because things weren't getting better. I decided to go see the GP, get some guidance and just see what was going on. But when I went to see them, they just said, you know, same old, really, you'll be fine. It's just a cold. It's that time of year. So just make sure you get your rest. You drink some tea with lemon. And that was it, really. And I thought, OK, well, that's the medical professional. I'll go home. I'll just rest, do what I need to do. And then things just started to get worse. I was very tired. I became very breathless, struggled sleeping and then was vomiting quite a lot. So things really worsened quite quickly from that initial visit. So again, I went to see my GPs to see what was going on. You know, I thought, you know, I would get better after it being like having been about three or four weeks. They checked my blood pressure. They, they listened to my symptoms and my blood pressure was high, but they said, you know, perhaps I was a bit anxious coming in. And again, it was pretty much the same. 
just go home. You'll be fine. It might just be some sort of infection. But if you don't get better, do come and see us. And I think after that, I was just, I felt confused because I was like, what's going on? I've never felt this bad before. I think the main problem was definitely the breathlessness. And I just couldn't sleep. Like I had to really prop up my pillow at night and just try my best, but just not being able to sleep, I think definitely worsened how I was feeling. And I was just trying to get on with it. I was back at work trying to do my long commute. And I think because I knew the doctors were saying it was just a cold, I was like, okay, I'll be fine. And I didn't have anything too severe that kind of prevented me from going into work. That's what I thought anyway. So I just kind of plodded along hoping for the best and hoping that I would feel better. And it wasn't getting any better. And so eventually my parents, because I was living with them at the time, convinced me. And I was very reluctant to go to see the GP again. I was like, no, I'll be fine. And they were like, no, you need to go. And I remember walking to the GP clinic, which is quite close to where I was living at the time. It's probably about a 10 minute walk. And it took me I don't want to, I I stopped on the way multiple times just because I couldn't, couldn't catch my breath. I just couldn't do that walk. And it would probably took, my mum was with me at the time, over half an hour, just stopping and starting. And I went to see the GP and she just said, I looked awful. That was her words when she saw me. She was like, you don't look well at all. And then she did some blood tests there. And then she was like, let's get, let's run these blood tests. Let's see really what's going on. And she said, we'll call you later if we need you to come in for anything else. And I think that was like early afternoon, went home, tried to get some sleep, again, struggling lots. And then I got, I think it was a call at seven, around seven. I remember it quite well. And they were like, you need to go to A&E straight away. Your bloods need further investigating. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And I remember them saying stuff over the phone about, this and that and this level doesn't look good but I don't think I was quite comprehending really what was being said to me at the time I think I was just thinking oh this is serious okay finally hopefully I will get better and then managed to get to A&E there was a long wait and then I had to have a repeat blood test there and I remember the nurses kind of talking and they were saying this lady like talking to me this girl She's got like a HB level. I think it was like 5.5. I didn't know what these things were. And I didn't know because this I'd never experienced anything like this before. What was a normal level? But I knew from their reaction that it was quite low. And while I was waiting in A&E, I got another call from my GP just to check that I'd gone to A&E. I think then I knew, okay, they're quite concerned because they were making sure that I'd actually gone to seek further kind of treatment. And then finally... I got admitted into the A&E ward, spoke to the doctors, kind of rehashing everything that had been going on since the last couple of months. And at this point, we're in January of 2016. And the doctors just weren't sure. I just remember them doing lots of calls to other doctors and doing bloods again. I had to have a blood transfusion, if not, I think it was two blood transfusions while I was waiting, just because of the way things were looking. And then they eventually told me that um, my kidneys had failed. And I think, well, at that stage, it was like the EGFR was like 2%. So again, to me, I was like, okay, that sounds bad. That sounds really bad. But I, I don't know. I didn't know what that was. And I didn't know 
if it was something sudden or if it had happened kind of over time. I just didn't know what was going on. And they didn't tell me then, but they told my, I think my parents that they were thinking about like putting me in, like inducing me into a coma because of just the way that my body was. And just, I guess I was in just such a bad state and kind of, yeah. So that's how I found out. And then pretty much, I think I stayed there overnight and was moved to another ward. And then from there, they were just trying to find a renal ward near me. And at the time I was in Harlow in Essex and they were just trying to find a renal ward that could take me on. And clearly I needed to go and be seen and treated, but still I didn't, I wasn't quite aware of what the next steps would be. And then they found a, a space at Lister Hospital in Stevenage. So I was taking an ambulance there. And then pretty much the next day from that, I was fitted with a line and started dialysis. So for me, it all happened pretty quickly. But in some ways, once I started the dialysis, I did feel better. Like the, the feeling of feeling nauseous, the breathlessness. I know at the time I was very much like overloaded with fluid. My blood pressure was very high. I think the doctor spent a lot of time just trying to get my body stable again. And the dialysis definitely helped. And my parents, you know, they were coming to see me and, you know, visibly I looked a lot better as well. And so for them, they thought, oh, that's great. We're going to go back home now. That's it. But I think it took a lot of time for them to process and for me to process that this wasn't just a one-off kind of visit to hospital. This was now the rest of my life with kidney failure and trying to manage that. So you literally went from going into A&E to finding out that your kidneys had failed and then the next day after that being put straight onto dialysis. Yeah, it was pretty much that, like moving into a different ward, like being transferred to another hospital. I think I had one night and then the following morning, following day, they put the line in. Um, I think it's the femoral line. And then that was it. And then had a dialysis session there and then. So it was all pretty quick. Like I was trying to remember, what was dialysis again? I remember studying it at GCSE Biology. And I was like, oh, what is this? But yeah, it all happened really quickly. And I think for me, yes, I was feeling better physically, but I think it was more mentally trying to process everything. That was the most challenging part for me. I don't think it was the dialysis, so to speak. I think it was trying to now factor in, okay, this is a chronic illness that I've just been diagnosed with. And I did have specialist nurses and other medical staff come and sit down with me and talk to me about kind of what's happened. So that support was there. And I am very grateful. I was very emotional as I am quite an emotional person. I think they probably wrote in all my notes, Ezra is the most emotional person we've probably ever met. But yeah, they talked to me about sort of what's going on, what are the next steps? And a lot of the discussion was about when I leave hospital, the type of dialysis treatment that I'm going to have, and then kind of ran through everything with me. But I definitely had a lot of questions at the time. You know, I was trying to find out why it's happened. Is it something that I've done? Was it you know, something genetic, because it just came out of the blue. It was such a shock. And unfortunately, they haven't 
been able to find out. They just said that my kidneys were were very small and they weren't able to do a biopsy. So it's just something that kind of is there for life now, but I don't really have the answer, which is quite hard. I think back then it was hard to deal with, not having sort of a definitive answer as to why it all happened. You know, I was quick to blame myself. I was like, oh, was I doing this wrong? Or was I, you know, eating the wrong things or not exercising enough? But I think they did say to me, it's most likely that my body had been adapting to probably having a low function for a long time. And now when I look back, I think I did ignore a lot of things. Like I remember being quite short of breath at times and quite tired. But I think I just always just just thought that was normal for me. And I just kind of just ignored it really, which probably isn't the best thing to do. But I just, how can you say that when you don't know what anyone else's normal is, it's hard to compare. I just thought that's how probably everybody is. That's how everyone's tired. But now when I think back, it may have been, you know, the kidney function just slowly over time decreasing. And perhaps that December when I fell ill, it kind of just all packed up and it was like, yes, we've been going on for 25 years, but, you know, maybe this is uh, another year too long. So kind of that, that was my, my story. I say in a nutshell, it wasn't quite a nutshell, but quite a lot happened in that sort of space of a month and that things I'll, I won't forget. But yeah, dialysis was, was definitely a, a journey and one I wasn't expecting, like going into my to my 26th year, I didn't think that I was going to be on dialysis. So yeah, definitely a, a big change. Telling friends, telling family, I think, yeah, it was a big shock. I can relate to the feelings that you had because they couldn't find a reason for my kidneys failing either. And I had a, a lot of tests where they were trying to work things out. And I really understand when you say when you look back at symptoms and certain things become normal, it's normal to feel tired. It's normal for this. It's normal for that. And you don't realize that actually it's not normal for those things. And I say to people quite often that when you feel tired, you don't think your kidneys are in trouble. You think, oh, I'm maybe a bit run down or mm. I'm coming down with the flu, which is what I thought, or whatever reason you don't naturally think oh my kidneys are in trouble when you feel tired and so it is easy to put things off or say oh I just need more sleep or I've worked too hard or I'll take a break you know take some annual leave or whatever you might be thinking at that time so I absolutely relate to that and as a young person as well I'm sure that was literally not even on your radar at all that your kidneys would have been in trouble so that feeling of, you know, could you have done more? How would you know? Mm. I think sometimes we as patients, and I don't use that word often, I, I, I prefer to use kidney warrior, but as a kidney patient, as people living with kidney disease, quite often we're like, did I do this or did I do that? Or could I have done this or could I have done that? But like you said, and in my case as well, it can just happen to anyone for whatever reason. And there's just nothing that you could have done to stop it. And it is coming to that point where you're like, okay, 
as you said, this is my life now and I have to do things differently. Yeah, so in terms of coming to terms with your diagnosis, how has that journey been? I think there's been a journey of acceptance. You know, I think at first, it's maybe, I don't know. It's like, at first there's, it's denial. My family definitely, I think we all felt that, oh, it's just a few sessions and I'll be better and I'll be home. And then it's just trying to, I think speaking to the doctors, it's kind you realize actually, no, this is serious. And we need, I just need to accept this. I can't change this now. What's happened has happened. And, you know, I'm grateful that there is the treatment out, you know, that, yeah, my my organs, my kidneys failed, but there was a viable treatment. Like I could have dialysis and that did help me feel a lot better initially. You know, it's not, it's not the best treatment for a young person. You know, I took quite, I was working at the time full time. I took a few months off just trying to sort of adjust and adapt at the time I was on hemodialysis and unfortunately the hospital near me the dialysis center didn't have space for me at that time and that was really close and that was about five ten minutes away from my house I was transferred to another dialysis center which was about an hour hour and a half drive away and then you're thinking you know I've got to do this three times a week Initially, I was doing the sessions Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. And I had the late slot at like, I can't remember now, maybe it was like five, five o'clock. And you're on the machine for about three hours. And you've got the whole time of, you know, someone setting you up and taking you off. And, you know, you've got hospital transport, which again, I'm very grateful for because I don't know how I would have made my journey otherwise. But it all adds to the time. And I think while this was all going on, I just wanted to try and get back to my life before as much as possible. You know, okay, I was now diagnosed with kidney failure, but I want to try and get back to work, try and get back to my social life. A big thing before I came back to the UK, I'd been living for a couple of years in Turkey, which is where my family are from. And I've been traveling a lot. And I think that was one of my biggest questions initially can I travel again? Is this going to prevent me from ever going abroad again? You know, when I first got that diagnosis, I think I, I threw quite a lot of questions at my doctor initially, like, can I do this? Can I do this again? Just everything was kind of running through my head. But yeah, I had to get used to that sort of new routine of going into get the treatment three times a week, going to a different hospital, that kind of drive coming back and not feeling so great after dialysis. I think, you know, everyone has feels differently, I would say. But for me, I think coming off, I did feel quite run down and tired and all the last thing I wanted to do, I just wanted to get home really and just just sleep. And it just felt like a long day being picked up a couple of hours in advance and being ready to be picked up as well. It just felt like my whole day was just get kind of getting ready for that session. And then before then, a lot of conversation had been had about me eventually going on to do peritoneal dialysis PD from home. And I think one of my doctors described it as sort of my kidney journey and being a young person, you know, obviously they were working up and we did talk about getting a kidney transplant. But the reality is, you know, 
I was going to be on dialysis, hopefully get a transplant. But the way things are, it's quite likely that I will be on, you know, if I do get that transplant, that I would be on dialysis again in the future. So their recommendation speaking to me about sort of my preferences was going on on PD first and then maybe in the future looking at, you know, HD. So I was being worked up. I had to get the surgery to fit the tubes in for PD and get everything ready and do the training because you need to learn how to set up the machine yourself at home and just make sure that, you know, in terms of like preventing infection, because it's quite common with PD, that you're doing everything that you can and being really careful with it. So I think that was something I was always looking forward to in terms of, I just didn't like going into the dialysis center three times a week. And I think that was just me. I just wanted to shut everything off. And when you go in, you know, lots of people are there and, you know, there's other patients and it just seems really busy. And I just didn't want to be in that environment. I think I would just shut myself away with like Netflix or a book or something, which wasn't me being rude. I think it was just because I'd like to think I'm quite, you know, I'm a sociable person normally. But in those times when I was at Dallas, it's just the last thing I wanted to think about was just having a conversation. I just wanted to kind of just be shut away and watch the clock kind of tick on the dialysis machine. So eventually when I did start PD, it felt like I could get some freedom back. I was, yeah, it's eight hours on a machine every night, but it was from home. I didn't have to wait for hospital transport. I didn't have to, you know, wait in the hospital, you know, in the dialysis centre. I could do it the time I wanted to do it, set my machine up myself. And I've always been quite an independent person. You know, I always like to to take control, maybe too much control sometimes of things in my life. And maybe the kidney failure taught me a, a lesson in that you can't always control every aspect of your life. Things just sometimes happen. But I felt like with PD, maybe I could take some control back for myself. I was able to get back to work. Again, it was difficult managing a full-time job with the PD. I had a long commute to work. It was about an hour and a half each way. And it was just, it was quite tiring, you know, coming off the machine early in the morning and then having to do quite a long commute, which involved getting a bus and a train and the tube to West London. It it wasn't, it's not probably, it's not fun now. And and it definitely wasn't something I looked forward to when I was on dialysis, but it meant I could get back to work and I could put some, my energy to something else. Like I could think about and concentrate on my job, which I, I was enjoying and just see my friends after work, you know, try to get some normality back that I didn't feel like I had when I first got diagnosed and having to do the dialysis treatment three days a week. But yeah, that, I think that helped. That sounds full on. I mean, you've done dialysis all through the night, woken up early, travelled an hour and a half to get to work. So before your working day has started, you've already been through all of that and then do an eight-hour working day and then travel an hour and a half back home and then doing dialysis again that night. This is why When I call people kidney warriors, this is what I mean. To be able to do that is no small feat. I mean, that is just incredible. And I just, 
wow, that really is incredible how you managed to do that and to have that determination to keep going and to be like, right, you know, I want to work. That is incredible how you managed to do that. I mean, how were you able to work? I mean, did you have support at work for your hours? Did they adjust your hours in any way or was it a full on eight hour working day? So initially, I think it was a lot of conversations with my doctor. I think I was very keen to get back as soon as possible. And I think he had to be like, okay, let's slow down, like, just get adjusted. Especially when I transferred onto the PD, he was like, just get adjusted, make sure you're happy with the treatment. Especially when with PD, you've got to make sure that everything's working well and there's adjustments that need to be made. And I think, yeah. When I spoke to him, I was just like, let me get back to work now. And he was like, no. And I think he saw that I was very keen. So we did talk about it. And initially he wrote me a letter and said, suggested like going back part time. So a few days a week. And thankfully my work, and I'm, I'm fortunate that I had this job before I got diagnosed with kidney failure. I had this job. So I think it would be a whole other story if I didn't have a job at that time. And then, yeah, just having open conversations with them about what was going on with my life and just trying to, I think they were shocked as well that this all happened to me so suddenly. And, you know, I had an office job, so it's not like I had to be on my feet all the time. So in that regard, I was lucky that if I got to work, once I'd done my commute, I felt like that was a big thing in the morning. I could sit down. I knew what I was doing. I was moving around sometimes, but not as much as perhaps other jobs. So started part-time and then gradually went back to a full week five days a week you know eight hours and I did struggle like it was hard especially the commutes you know it's busy sometimes you know you don't get a seat and all I wanted was a seat just to like take a breather in the morning but again I'm just quite stubborn and I'm not going to ask anyone to get up if I really need a seat I need to learn the hard way sometimes that you need to do that why do you think you were stopping in that way? I think I just, I think in life, I just don't want to come across as I'm, I'm weak and that I need kind of that extra help. And I think that's something that I need to get over at times. I think later on I did. There were occasions where I really needed a seat and I was. And I think sometimes people look at you, or maybe I think people look at you as a young person thinking, why does she need a seat? And I think it goes back to, you know, invisible you know illnesses and disabilities that people don't always see and yes on the you know on the surface I look like albeit quite a short 25 26 year old but you know looks fairly healthy and a lot of people did comment you know when I was doing the dialysis oh you know you don't look ill you look fine and it's like well actually there's a lot more going on that you don't realize if you saw my bloods maybe then you'd question it So I guess it was always just a worry of what's that other person's reaction going to be like. And I think that's just stuff I just make up in my head. A lot of the times, if I did ask someone for a seat, if anything, they're just more like, oh, no, so sorry. Yeah, take my seat. You know, I never got a reaction where it was like, why are you asking me for a seat? It was never something negative. I think that negativity is something perhaps I've just built up in my head. But I think it just goes back to my stubbornness and my not wanting 
to look weak. I just wanted to be, you know, strong and, you know, carry on in the best way that I could or what I thought was the best way. So, yeah, just plodding along, really, as always. I think that's something that we really do need to normalise is to ask for help when we need to, because like you've said, kidney disease is one of those invisible illnesses. If I had a pound for every time somebody said, you don't look sick, I'd be a millionaire now, you know, could retire because we generally don't. I always say to people, like you said, it's not what you look like on the outside, it's what's going on on the inside. and it can be really challenging, but I think we we have to normalise that asking for help doesn't make you weak. In fact, it takes a lot of strength to ask for help. It really does, especially even more so as a young person such as yourself. We really need to get to the point where we don't bat an eyelid. It's like, oh, we need help, no problem. And we don't have this internal struggle to ask for help. And for anyone listening, if you need the seat, as in this example, or whatever the example may be, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't struggle. Don't suffer in silence. Just ask for help. It doesn't make you weak. You are a warrior. No, that's so true. And I didn't mention this before, actually, but the day before I got diagnosed and sent to A&E, I did actually try to go to work. So I was probably not the wisest decision I've ever made. But again, I think it went back to the guidance that I've been given. I was just, I was just convinced I was going to get, I was going to get better. So I was like, yeah, I'm on my way to get better. What not? I'll just carry on going to work. And I'll never forget like being on the, st- like, I don't know if you know Victoria Station well, but there's, there's still well to get up to the tube to go to the district line um, and the circle line. And I was just stopped on that stairwell and it's like busy rush hour commute. And I just stopped. I physically couldn't get up any more stairs. And I remember actually there was a gentleman obviously trying to get to work as well, who stopped, helped me. I think he got some of the station staff to come and see what was going on because I was clearly holding up a lot of people. And yeah, they took me to the side and and blessing the, the guy waited as well. To this day, I don't know who he is, but he was very nice and gave me his water. And I think he gave me a cereal bar as well. So I also took his breakfast. And yeah. I think was again I was not very well at that stage and they they gave me an option they said we could call you an ambulance or you could try to get to work and carry on with your journey but do you know call out to station staff if you need anyone and of course the option I went for was I'll I'll try to get to work and it took me a long time like normally from there from Victoria it takes me about 15 minutes to get to where I needed to go and it took me well, I, I don't even know how long it took, but it felt like ages and I'm sure it was ages, like over an hour, probably just me trying to walk to my office. And I remember as soon as I got in, one of the managers was was there and she just said, you don't look well. I think you need to go home. And I was like, oh, just made this entire journey. Don't send me home. But yeah, it, Lily, I wasn't well, which is apparent from the fact from kind of what happened after that. So yeah definitely ask for help and I would say you know with everything that's gone on I'm very like I wouldn't have been able to do without like my friends and family they've very much been a big support my mum would help me immensely with 
you know, setting up the machine, you know, putting everything away in the mornings, especially when those mornings I got up late and I didn't have time to like pack everything away or tidy up everything. She was, she was great. Going back to dialysis. So we talked about, you know, you were working and doing that commute and and all the things that you, I still can't get my head around how you managed to do whilst on dialysis. But in terms of like the experience of dialysis and your health, how was the process of dialysis for you? I think, quite frankly, it was just sort of surviving and just getting along and getting along as much as I could. You know, my kidney function didn't really go up that much. I think it was about five or six percent that it stayed at and then my hb levels continued to be fairly low and things just didn't improve like health wise obviously it was better than when i first got diagnosed but it didn't really get significantly better and i ended up sort of going in and out of hospital quite a lot that year of dialysis that i was on you know, every two or three months or so, I'd be back in hospital. And as I mentioned before, with like PD, you're quite prone to infection. And initially, when I first went in, after having started the PD, they thought it was some sort of infection with the PD kind of tube. And I had like high fever. I think my blood pressure was high. And then I had like elevated CRP levels, like infection markers which they always said, oh, it's really, really high. And I just didn't know what was going on. And they just suspected because I was on PD that it was some sort of infection related to that. But I think the first time I went in, they couldn't find anything. And I can't remember that. It's a bit fuzzy now, the details, of because I visit, went in and out so many times, it felt like that year. Um, they started to do a lot more testing. And they decided at the time I was on the the transplant list, but they decided to take me off because they didn't know what was causing me to come in and out of hospital and what was causing my my CRP levels to be so high. And I had CT scans, CT PET scans, just like going to all these different places to get some answers, really. So, and then I think I was tested with things like Mediterranean fever, and that's probably because of my background and amyloidosis and just so many things at the time and they were just trying to rule out lots of different things and I had a a really like lots of the doctors I've had have been great but one particular consultant I remember he was like we need to get to the bottom of this I need you back on that transplant list and he did so much in terms of like chasing and like writing letters to different consultants and trying to get an answer and then eventually I think it was of January 2017, where they started to sort of figure out what was going on. And they suspected that I had ankylosing spondylitis, which is type of rheumatoid arthritis. And again, it's going back to things I neglected in my past, but I used to have ankle pain. I used to have pain in my lower back area. And, you know, take some paracetamol. I just thought it was just like normal pain, but it was quite bad at times. Like I remember there were instances where I couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't walk properly. And again, I've gone, I think reluctantly 
had gone to see someone, like see a GP about it, and they just said, normal pain. So I was to take some paracetamol. Can't really do much about it now. But if it gets worse, you know, come and see us. But I just didn't go in. You know, it did get worse and I didn't go in because I was just like, oh, they're just most likely they're going to say the same thing. But when they did the scans, that's when everything kind of lined up. And I also got uveitis, which is an infection in the eye. And so that's when they started to link everything together and say, this is what it looks like. And then I met with a doctor and described my symptoms to him. And he said, yeah, this is what you've got. You've got ankylosing spondylitis. And it's quite common in young people, more men than than women, but it's quite a common thing to be diagnosed later with as well. And there's something in my blood. I can't remember what it was. Something in there that is is common with the condition. And then the scans also showed some problems in my lower back area. I'm not a medical expert, so I don't want to go into the details because I can't even remember what was said in the letters. But yeah, so they finally managed to figure out what it was. And in, in some weird way, it was a relief to be diagnosed with another chronic illness. For once, I had an answer to kind of what was going on and why I was I was feeling some of the pains that I'd got in the past. And also, I was lucky in that the condition meant that I could go back on the transplant list. It wasn't something that was going to impact me having a transplant. So, yeah. So in January 2016, I got diagnosed with kidney failure. And then in January 2017, I got diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis. So quite a lot, you know, in the space of a year to be diagnosed with two chronic illnesses. I remember joking about it with my doctor. I don't think he thought it was that funny, but I thought it was, it was quite funny. And then I think it was not, I don't even know if I was put, I didn't even get the formal notification of being put back on the list. And I remember very well that I was at the hospital again, because I spent quite a lot of time there for an appointment about my eye just to get a follow-up about the uveitis and I'd got a call from the hospital and I at that time I got called in to see the doctor so I just didn't answer the call because I was like oh the doctor's calling me I must go and see the doctor and then I got out of the appointment and I listened to the voicemail and it was the hospital calling me that there was a kidney for me and to make my way to the hospital as soon as possible and at that time I was in Stevenage at one of the hospitals I was at and I was getting my transplant at the Royal Free which is in London so luckily my sister lived in Stevenage at the time so she quickly came and I was with my mum at the time as well she was actually there on the same day because she was meant to have an appointment again something kidney related she was working her way up to donate her kidney to me but unfortunately they found something in her results which meant that they needed to do further testing but we spoke to the hospital and they said no go with her to the hospital to get the transplant so we all went so it was was really lucky that my mum was there with me and my sister was able to join as well and then yeah that was pretty much it so that was February 2017 so I'd been on dialysis at that point for just over a year so in some ways I guess with the time that I was off the list, the time that was on dialysis, I do think I'm very lucky to have been called so soon um, to get a a transplant, you know, at the time when I was on dialysis, I never thought I'd get the call. 
I think you just hear the statistics and you hear it's normally on average, they say about three years. I guess it depends on the individual as well and your circumstances and how that can affect the waiting time. But yeah, I was very surprised and shocked. And I remember speaking because I was at my hospital where I was getting the dialysis and seeing my renal team. I was able to speak to them as well. So that was really nice to kind of see them and say, oh, I'm off to the hospital now to go and get my transplant and have that sort of like last kind of, I say a goodbye. It wasn't really a goodbye, but, you know, they were really happy to hear the news. And yeah, so thankfully went to the hospital and got the news about the transplant. And it's, it is hard to hear when you find out, you know, the circumstances around why the kidney has become available. But I guess for me, you know, trying to see the positive, you know, think that someone's made that decision and that's what their choice and their family's choice of what they want to happen with organs. So it was a long wait, I would say, you know, kind of waiting the next day. My kidney actually came from Ireland and I also met my, what I call my kidney brother. We were both waiting at the same time. So just waiting anxiously for the surgery and I had the surgery the next day very early morning and thankfully it all went pretty smoothly and kind of started the recovery from there in terms of the transplant. It was difficult, I'd say, being in the hospital, especially with the back pain that I have initially not being able to walk around as much. That definitely worsened things, but I was trying to be positive and I was grateful to get the kidney and to start hopefully the kind of the next chapter of my kidney journey. And I think I was in for about five days. Can't remember now. And then that was it really. And then just coming back and forth, getting the regular checkups. And now it's been seven years. So yeah, last week, in fact, was my seventh anniversary. Congratulations on your anniversary. I mean, that is a lot to go through in a relatively short space of time. I mean, to get your diagnosis to being straight onto dialysis, to then whilst on dialysis experiencing so many challenges and having to go into hospital so much, getting infections. I mean, that is a lot. And then to get a second diagnosis of a chronic illness as well, like your mind, like, how did you get your mind around all of what was going on? I have no idea. Like you say, it was such a short space of time. Well, at the time, it felt like a lot was going on. And for me as well, it was, it was quite unusual because I'd never been in hospital before. That was the first time. And I was quite fortunate and lucky that I lived what I believed to be quite a healthy life up until then. You know, the odd GP visit here and there, but never did I have to go in for an overnight stay. So I guess I was I was lucky in that regard. And then in that year, I had a lot of visits that I just wasn't used to. And I think at the age that I was then, it was an adjustment, you know, being young and looking, like a lot of people say, I look younger in an environment where perhaps someone your age shouldn't be in. And you have to quickly adjust to kind of just getting used to kind of this new life that you have. And it was something that, in my case, I wasn't used to. It was all very unfamiliar to me, to my family, to my friends around me at the time as well. So, yeah, a lot happened very quickly. And 
you know, it's, it's helpful to reflect back on it now. And, you know, when I talk about it, those things aren't very vivid in my memory, like getting the call, being diagnosed, you know, the first time I went into the hospital, in some ways, weirdly, it's like it happened, you know, last week or something, because I just remember those occasions so well. I don't think I'll ever forget, you know, the things the doctor said or what was happening. I don't remember all of the visits in and out and what happened, but definitely those key moments, getting the call, things like that, like those things I'll never forget. But I guess that's just a part of my life now. So, and there will be more parts, I'm sure, you know, that's something that you just have to kind of prepare yourself for, which isn't always easy. Like sometimes you want to be thinking about the future and what's going on, but I think with my transplant, it's sort of just take every day as a positive and just keep going as much as I can. You know, I'm lucky that I've had seven years of my transplant so far. So another year is, mm. you know, another year I'll be very grateful for. So just just hope that I can do as much as I can. So what difference has the transplant made to your life? I think when I look back now, it's just... It's just given me more freedom. You know, I don't have to be on a machine for eight hours a day. I tried to make things work. And I think you do try to make it work as much as you can. You know, but still was, like I said, I was still able to work. I was still able to see my friends. But there was, in some ways, doing the dialysis, there was almost like a curfew. I had to be home at a certain point so that I could be set up and get those eight hours in before I needed to get up the next day to get on with my, you know, daily commute and work life. So I just felt like there was this alarm that I had that I need to get the train, I need to get home. It just couldn't be, I just felt like I couldn't be as carefree as I am now. Like if I missed the train, if I was out with friends, if I missed the train, I'm like, oh, I'll just get the next train. But back then there were times where like, I need to get this train if I'm out because I need to go home and get everything ready. You know, that was the thinking that I had back then. So now with the transplant, you know, I don't have that. I don't have to go into hospital as much as I used to. You know, I'm managing the ankylosing spondylitis, managing my transplant. Yes, I have to take the medication, but I had to do that when I was on dialysis as well. So that's fine. I definitely think a big difference is the fluid restriction. You know, being on dialysis, at one point I was on 500 mils a day, um, which was challenging really really challenging at times especially when you go out socially and you can see friends drinking or even just at a meal you know just things like water you just want more water and it's like you know no got to stop here otherwise I'll have to bear the consequences and later on with my blood pressure or swelling or whatnot so yeah just having to be more conscious of, of some things that you just wouldn't have thought of before there was a point when I was on dialysis and I wanted to go abroad. And I think there's just so many extra hurdles that you've got to go through, especially when you've got a machine with lots of other bags and, you know, other contraptions that are needed to go along with it for your treatment. And, you know, it, it is possible. I'm not trying to say it's not possible, but it's just those extra things that you've got to think about. And when I was on dialysis, a friend of mine was going to get married in Turkey and asked me to be her bridesmaid at her wedding. So I really wanted to go to this wedding and I wanted to make every effort possible. And, you know, 
with good fortune, somehow I got the transplant before her wedding. And it was six months before her wedding that I got the transplant. So I was able to fly, thankfully, without needing the machine. And just when I look back to that wedding and that holiday, I was able to stay for her entire wedding. Whereas if I'd been on dialysis, I think I would have had to have left early and, you know, thought about all of that. So, you know, things are possible. There's just a few more, quite a few more restrictions, I think, when you're on dialysis that you just have to be careful with. You know, there's still things, not to say I'm completely reckless now, I still have to be careful with the transplant, but I just feel like I've got a bit more freedom carrying on with work and, you know, being able to travel. Yeah, just things I enjoy, I'm able to do a lot more easily now. For the young people listening, what advice do you have for them? I would say, what would I say? Gosh, there's a lot of things I would like to say. I guess for me, it's just take your time to try and adjust and adapt and be open, like we were saying before, to support from others. You know, I heavily relied on friends and family, you know, as much as it's the physical changes that are going on mentally there's a lot of things going on as well so I think it's really important that you try to surround yourself with people and be open about how you're feeling because I'll be honest you know there were days when I was on on dialysis where you know it was I I wish I wasn't on dialysis I was like oh why why me sort of feeling really low and I think it's just important to talk about how you're feeling at that time and you know, I think some of the advice I'm saying I could I should I can take on myself as well. But yeah, just listen to, you know, the doctors, the nurses around you, the medical professionals, but also to your family and friends and to yourself as well. Because at the end of the day, you know yourself, you know how you're feeling. If you're not feeling well, then take it easy. If you need more time be honest there were times you know when friends wanted to do things and I just wasn't in the right headspace or perhaps wasn't feeling very well physically to go out and you just got to be honest and and hope you know that your friends will you know will be understanding to what's going on and I think a lot of my friends didn't have experience or didn't know like myself didn't know anyone else with kidney failure with having had a transplant so I was trying to be very transparent and open with them about my experiences you know some people when I said had the transplant they're like oh great that's it now you know you don't have to go back on dialysis again and it's like you don't want to be that negative person but you also want to point out not in a rude way or anything but you know yeah it's great I'm not on dialysis right now but with my age and with all likelihood you know in the future at some point I may have to go back on dialysis, you know, if my transplant doesn't last as long. It's very likely that I will have to go back on dialysis. So it's just, I think, yeah, just being open with people and educating them as much as you're educating yourself about kind of what's going on with your own health and asking questions. You know, a lot of the time, lots of things were going on with my health. And I think it's really important to be asking, you know, trying to get some clarification 
what's this? What's this result in my blood tests? What does this mean for me? Is there anything I need to be doing? And just, you know, speaking to the team around you and making sure you know what's going on with your health. I think that's that's really important. You know, I've got a very good, I'd like to think a very good relationship now with my kidney transplant doctor. I think I see him with more than some of my friends sometimes, I feel. I see him every four months and yeah, it's just good to to be able to have a conversation. So I feel lucky in that I've got someone that I can talk to about my kidney health and he's, he's very aware of kind of my background and the last seven years of everything that's kind of happened with me. A lot of good advice there. Thank you so much. So recently we've done a series, Love, Relationships and CKD on Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And if you haven't yet caught it, please do check out episodes 79 and 80. I know that you yourself are now married and have found love after being diagnosed. So tell me a little bit about how you met your husband and a bit about, you know, love relationships and CKD. Yeah, so I guess ours is always a long and very different story. You know, when people ask, you know, how did you meet? There's a lot of personal information that perhaps needs to be shared, especially if you don't know the people as well. So like you said, Ruben, my husband, he also has CKD, and but different to my story. And I won't share too much of it about his story because he will be on the podcast as well. And I'll let him talk about himself. But he was diagnosed much younger in life from birth as a baby. So he's had to kind of go through this for a long period of time. And for him, he doesn't, he's always said he doesn't know anything different. So we actually met at the Young Adult Weekend, which is a weekend away, sponsored by Kidney Care. And I think when I first found out about the weekend, I didn't know anyone really, like when I got diagnosed didn't know anyone you know a lot of people in the hospital didn't really meet other young people my hospital did try to do sort of a young adult clinic where young adults would come to see the doctor but none of us really spoke to each other it wasn't nothing for the hospital's fault it was probably our fault we just all kind of went in did our clinic and then left but yeah so the hospital told me about this weekend away and I was reluctant at first to go away it was a weekend, I think it was in September, and it was back in 2017, I believe, the weekend away, and it was in the Peak District, and it was, you know, you could stay with lots of other young people, there's lots of activities organised, you know, part of me was like, oh, maybe I should go, you know, it's good to to branch out and meet people, you know, people who have probably been through similar things to myself, and Eventually I did go and I remember waiting at the dialysis centre where we had to meet all the people from London and get the bus up there. And Ruben was there with a friend. And I think I was early because I'm always early to things and introduced myself. And I was so formal. He'll always joke about it now. I was so formal. I was like, hello, my name's Ezra. How are you? And they just kind of carried on with their conversation because they just had dialysis at the time. And we had we said a few things and then just they just carried on. I was like, oh gosh, what's this weekend going to be like? But yeah, we got to know each other at the weekend. Ruben also was there for the first time. And like myself, was a bit reluctant about going. We both weren't sure about whether it was right for us or not. And so, yeah, we just got talking. 
And I think the big thing about us is, yeah, we were both from London, both had kidney, you know, kidney issues, but we had a lot of commonalities apart from that. You know, yes, that's something that brought us together, but soon we, you know, we got along. We found that we we had similar interests. So that's kind of where it all started. Soon we started dating. Yeah, you know, and I think I was at an age where, you know, I knew it was going to be something serious and I knew I found a good one. I put it very, you know, there's a lot lot of things, a lot of qualities to Ruben and I won't talk about all of them right now. We don't have enough time. But yeah, very soon we talked about marriage. We also very early on talked about things like adoption, given our health. And, you know, I think that was really important because we've both got these medical histories, so to speak, being transparent about things like adoption, because that's something that we might want to consider later down the line. You know, if we can't get pregnant, maybe that's something we both wanted to be open about if, you know, we're we're both happy to adopt if that's something that we need to do. So yeah, and then it was last year we got married in April. So it'll be a year, we'll have our one year anniversary in April of this year. And I think while we were sort of planning for the wedding, a big part of it was we wanted to raise money for kidney care as well. So we didn't want to receive gifts. We set up a, a donation page just to do our bit to thank, you know, kidney care, just our little bit for giving us the opportunity to meet. Otherwise, you know, I don't know if we would have met. We're in, we're at different hospitals. Yes, we're in London, but big city. So I think that was our, what something that we both really wanted to do. That's really yeah. sweet. So Kidney Care UK Young Adult Group, that's where you met. And so instead of having gifts, you did a fundraiser for Kidney Care UK. That's really yeah. sweet. That really is. Yeah, that's something that we both wanted to do. And we were, you know, we've got great friends and family around us. And, you know, hopefully that money may go towards, you know, another young adult weekend. And who knows more, more couples in the future? I don't know. But, you know, we're in a very, very good place. We're both very happy. You know, I think for me, getting diagnosed with kidney failure was probably one of the most difficult things I've had to sort of come to terms with and deal with in my life was quite fortunate that life was going pretty smoothly up until then so it was a big shock but meeting Reuben you know in the strange circumstances and the difficult circumstances both come to for me he's the best thing that's ever happened to me so in a weird way you know sometimes I know it's cheesy but things happen for a reason not to say I would want anyone to get kidney failure and meet their prospective partner but for me, you know, I guess it was just meant to be. And I think for us, we both, as I said before, we have different experiences, but we have things that we understand. You know, when we first met, Ruben was on dialysis. And I could, to some extent, understand how he was feeling after each session. Again, you know, everyone feels slightly different or may feel slightly different, but it came from a place. I think for how he was feeling, oh, I understand, you know, if he's run down, if he doesn't want to meet up, there's that common ground. You know, he's had a transplant now as well. And we're on the same tablets. So we both have the same kind of routines. It does make things easier. 
I think the key thing is, for me, the kidney health doesn't define my life. It's an aspect and, and it's a big part of my life, something that I can't just neglect and forget about. And I think it's very much the same for Ruben in that for him, you know, it's been with him all, all of his life. And for us as a couple now, again, it's it's an aspect, but it's not something that we kind of lead our lives with and our future with. I don't think it defines us, but it's it's definitely shaped me as a person. I'd like to feel that I'm stronger now, having gone through all those challenges. But yeah, and there's still more challenges, I'm sure, along the road. But I've got Ruben as well to kind of help me through those and my family and friends who will be there too. So I've kind of gone through it once. So I'm hoping if, you know, dialysis is in the future, know now what to, to sort of expect if I need to get to it. But for now, very much focusing on married life, being happy and trying to make the most of our of our good health and taking advantage of, you know, trips or whatnot and being together before we think about the next steps. So, yeah. It really warms my heart to hear your story of how you found Ruben and and that you're happy and you're making plans for the future. And it really goes to show that even out of the hardest, most difficult circumstance, something so beautiful can come from that. And so I really have this huge, well, you can see I've got this huge smile on my face because I'm really happy for you guys. And so from this then, I will leave the final word to you. So what final piece of advice and encouragement do you have for the listeners? I think for me, and through everything that I've been through, my advice would be to try and find and focus on the positives and try to be grateful and thankful of, of what you have around you. You know, when I look back, it was a difficult time and I definitely had some lows and challenges. But when I think about it now, I'm so grateful and thankful for my family, my friends, you know, for the for the NHS. And I think that was hard back then to reflect on, but sometimes maybe that is what you need to do, just take time and reflect on those challenges that we've been through. You know, I can't change anything. And sometimes in life you can't change things that happen to you. But trying to find that little bit of positivity for me going through everything, it's made me stronger as a person. I've met Ruben. I think it's brought my family together as well. So those are the positives that I try to bring out of, you know, all the negative circumstances that sort of happened with surrounding my diagnosis. And I'm not saying it's easy. I know it's hard. If you asked me this question when I was on dialysis, I would have really struggled to find any of that positivity. So I think for anyone listening, just take the time, reflect, recognize that it's a challenge, but try to think about what it's doing to you, what it's bringing to your life in perhaps a positive manner, if you can, and focus on those those around you, I would say, and try, you know, if you're not able to see that, I'm sure they can help you to try to come to that and support you through kind of what's going on. And that's definitely something that I've tried to do 
And I've definitely relied on going through everything that I have been seeking that guidance and support from loved ones around has been really, really helpful and important to me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for being so honest and so open for sharing things that have been very difficult to share, but you've been extremely brave and just honestly, from my heart, I just really want to thank you so much for joining me. I know, I mean, we said this at the beginning and after spending this time with you, I know that you sharing your story will help so many people. So thank you again. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, Dee. And I hope, you know, through the experiences that I've had, perhaps someone else out there might have gone through, you know, similar things and can realise, you know, that we're not alone in all of this. And hopefully, like I said, try to to find the positives in everything that we, we go through. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.